Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, thanks again for tuning in. It's so fun to see new listeners come. It seems like every episode we're getting more and more people downloading the podcast, coming from all different states in the country and from different countries around the world. So uh, that's been really, really fun to have so many fans that really appreciate this podcast. And I just promise to continue to provide you with great guests and great content. And today is no different. Um, Finding adequate funding for one's nonprofit is an ever-present challenge for all of us, right? How can you then, as a nonprofit leader, find the right grants and create capacity building into your organization? Well, today's guest will help address just that. His name is Paul Miles. He's the president and CEO of We Raise Foundation. And as he shares with us today, he also talks about the critical importance of investing in and raising up emerging leaders. And this is a podcast focused on leadership. And I think you're going to really be inspired by what he has to say about this leadership topic. We Raise Foundation hopes to be at the forefront of identifying innovative ideas, people, and programs that raise consciousness, community leadership, and capital to break the cycles of violence and poverty and social inequity that have so long plagued America's communities. Enjoy today's show. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, My guest today is Paul Miles. He's the president and CEO of We Raise Foundation. Paul, thanks so much for calling in from Chicago today. We're glad to have you on the show. Rob, very happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll talk about uh, the foundation a bit that you lead, your role in it. How did it start and what does it seek to address? Yeah, thanks for the question. And uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, We've got a, a long history at uh, We Raise Foundation and our predecessor names, which really date back to 1905. We were started in suburban Denver in the town of Wheat Ridge, Colorado, when a group of Lutheran congregations came together because people who were afflicted with tuberculosis were coming to central Colorado because of that dry, arid climate. And they saw a need that had presented itself within their community and decided to do something about it. And so they organized and developed what became the Lutheran Evangelical Sanatorium and um, and ultimately um, uh, created a physical presence. Um, they housed people in something called a Tucker tent, which uh, in the early 1900s had a very... Uh, uh, innovative design um, that allowed for um, that dry, arid uh, air to move through uh, a, essentially what was a one-room house. And so those were the origins of the organization. Eventually, uh, as medical science caught up to that uh, disease, we sold all of those physical assets and then incorporated as a foundation. And in that time, we have uh, worked under the name of Wheat Ridge Foundation and then Wheat Ridge Ministries, and just recently we changed to We Raise Foundation. The uh, movement from tuberculosis 
we certainly could have stayed in that uh, space uh, in developing parts of the world. TB is still a significant issue that is being dealt with. We don't experience that in the United States, thankfully. But we saw that as a moment where we would evolve and we started making grants and working with organizations in a broader context of health and human care. And so within that, we really served a, a, no, a number of different issues, including immigration and refugees, uh, senior care, uh, nutrition, uh, mental health, uh, domestic violence. We had a number of different issues that we were uh, supporting over the years. And then just in the most recent weeks, have had another evolution of the organization where we really chose this intersection of poverty, violence, and inequality as the uh, mission focus for our organization, and those will uh, we will support and fund organizations that are working in that space. Well, I understand you recently changed your name, and you're now called the We Raise Foundation. Why did you change your name, and, and what will be different now that you are now called We Raise? Yeah, it, it's really the million-dollar question, right, is why, why do it, and uh, why do we do the work, and why do we change our name, and all of those kind of things. Um, I can assure you it wasn't just to have something new and shiny uh, that was never a consideration. The only guiding principle for us was how can we uh, mobilize our organization to get more resources into the hands of leaders and individuals and organizations that are serving poverty, violence, and inequality. The name change is really just one of a few uh, really critical changes that we decided to make. The first being uh, that we were going to really articulate a, a a more narrow focus in terms of an issue. We had uh, we had granted a host of different uh, sectors. What we saw, however, in terms of our grant history, is the connective tissue in all of those things that I mentioned of refugees and immigration and mental health and nutrition and senior care was really um, uh, the, the the central binding, uh, binding issue was the issue of poverty. These were programs that were serving people that could not afford access to health care, could not afford um, uh, transitional housing or any number of those uh, types of issues. And so we saw that really is the connection to our past. We were articulating it differently now going forward. But then we started to really explore what are those um, uh, accompanying issues uh, that really are courted by poverty. So what comes with poverty? Well, typically violence does. And usually that's as a result of lack of opportunity and, uh, uh, and really not knowing where else to go in order to try to move ahead um, in life, and that is to engage in behaviors that would, um, uh, would really put you on a harmful path. And we saw those types of issues disproportionately influencing communities of color. And while poverty doesn't really discriminate by race, we certainly saw a, a growing trend. The, the growth in abject poverty certainly is disproportionate in uh, African-American and Hispanic communities. Uh, we see a, a significantly higher uh, rate of population in uh, prisons uh, from African-American Hispanic, Hispanic populations. And we wanted to do something about that. Our name, what we hoped to do with the name change, was have something that more accurately reflected what our mission focus is, and that is to say we raise foundation, we raise issues, leaders, 
and capital. We're a unique grant-making foundation in that we raise money up front in order to invest it in these organizations uh, that are doing the work. So those are our those are our three objectives: is to raise uh, issues, leaders, and capital. Yeah, and then talk about some of the examples of the types of organizations or leaders you're supporting. Yeah, some of our larger grants uh, it, through what is called our Grants Plus program. Uh, some recent grants we've made uh, here in Chicago was to an organization called By the Hand Club for Kids, which is an after-school um, academic and uh, mentoring tutoring program. It really stresses academic excellence, but kind of approaches that from a holistic uh, nurturing of the child um, serving the west uh, on the west side of Chicago. Um, another one was the Lawndale Christian Legal Center. This is a really innovative program, the first of its kind in the United States, which is a fully restorative justice court. And uh, this is overseen by um, the judiciary in the state of Illinois. Uh, but this uh, restorative justice court uh, brings together both perpetrator and um, uh, and victim uh, into this restorative uh, circle, and that over a period of time, they really learn a great deal about one another. What, what were the motivations behind taking action? It's a nonviolent uh, offense, but you know what would have prompted you to do that? And, and they start to understand that. But then the, uh, uh, the the perpetrator also understands what are the implications of that behavior. What did you, what happened to that uh, person that uh, you know you you robbed him? What did that what did that do to his job status? What did it do to his self confidence, his relationship with his family, and the like? And uh, we were one of the very early funders of that, which is a hallmark of We Raise Foundation is that we are an initial investor. And so most of these grants um, would reflect that we would be, in some cases, the first funder, but certainly always a very early investor in a program, which is very unique. Most foundations require a, a, a fairly lengthy track record of success in a program before they invest in it. We're a little bit more of a, a risk-taking foundation. We believe that um, investing up front um, is what is needed most. Um, those are our precious dollars, as we have uh, heard from our grantee community. Uh, but another another wonderful um, program we're very proud of proud of is called um, uh, the Benedict Center up in uh, the southern part of Milwaukee, which is a program uh, that really was aimed at the issue of street prostitution, and it's a cooperative in Milwaukee with a group of uh, Benedictine nuns and uh, Lutheran congregation there in Milwaukee. And uh, they're doing tough work, and they go out uh, all hours of the night working with these young women who are in very compromised situations, uh, oftentimes uh, as an outgrowth of the core problem, which we saw really is housing. A lot of these women are in um, uh, very compromised housing situations. Uh, sadly, there are men who prey on that and uh, in exchange for getting them into a, a better housing situation, they go to work for them on the streets. And so this is a program that um, uh, goes really right on the front lines right away in uh, tough circumstances. And again, one of the uh, initial funding partners of this uh, of this new program on the south side of Milwaukee. 
That sounds fascinating. And, you know, you already touched on a little bit, but as all nonprofit leaders know, experiencing the challenge of fundraising is something they face every day, right? And your foundation provides grants and helps nonprofits with capacity building. So talk a little bit about your organization specifically and what it makes your organization unique about your approach to grant making. Yeah, we, we've set ourselves on a path where we really wanted to explore with our grantee community what their greatest needs uh, were immediately and what they were most concerned about perhaps over the next 10 years or so. And uh, we held conversations with about 35 nonprofit leaders, and each one of them came back with the same chief concern, and that was uh, finances, the money that is required to start and sustain these programs. They were recognizing that there were seismic shifts in the landscape um, uh, in the nonprofit community. And so public sector funding was shifting dramatically and in some cases being cut uh, or it was now being attached to a host of conditions in order to receive the funding. There was um, uh, testing or qualifying or any number of uh, elements that now were associated with public sector funding. We don't see fundraising, Rob, as a, as a dirty word. We recognize that what it is really is the fuel that is needed to run the machines um, that these nonprofits represent. All that money that is required to do that, that each dollar that goes into those organizations translates into a, a different life experience for somebody. So it, it isn't money for the sake of money. It, we don't want to be great at fundraising and being great at a grant maker because somehow that influences our bottom line or that there's a, you know, a financial picture we're trying to complete. We see that really through human terms so that every additional dollar that we can provide or every additional capacity building service that we can give to our grant makers that helps them become better at raising money means more lives are impacted. That is ultimately the evaluation, the metric that we look at, which is how many lives are transformed because of our involvement. Well, it's interesting to me that you've uh, really focused your attention on issues of poverty, violence, and social inequity specifically. Um, how did you select that, and why are these so critical for you to address and your organization to address? Yeah, we looked at uh, our grant history, and we've been a grant maker for not quite 60 years prior to that, um, you know, as a direct service provider in the area of tuberculosis. But as a foundation, uh, we have granted to a number of different issues and organizations over that, uh, over that time frame. And uh, that was wide-ranging, and it was um, uh, within the area of social work. It, it might have been nutrition, might have been mental health, domestic violence, um, uh, international development, uh, a host of different, uh, different things. But what we saw as a common thread um, within most of those grants is that they were funding programs to, uh, that provided access to people that couldn't otherwise afford access to um, mental health or counseling or social work or any of those issues. And so we saw, uh, to some degree, poverty is a connecting thread in our past. We also engaged in conversations with people and kind of inquired, particularly with young people, 
what are the issues that you're most concerned about that are shaping communities today? And this concept of uh, inequality is really uh, right at the top of their list. And we saw a, a real disparity and a growing uh, chasm uh, that's measured in, in terms of poverty, um, particularly in, um, uh, in urban areas. And we also then kind of started asking ourselves some questions about what was most important to us. We saw at a, a, at a time in which uh, remarkable wealth was being created, new wealth, in fact, over the last year maybe, six trillion dollars in new wealth uh, created, uh, that at the same time we had 43 million people in the United States living in poverty. And we saw 1.5 million of those people uh, surviving on less than two dollars a day. And one in six children uh, do not know where their next meal is coming from. And at a time where we saw tremendous wealth, which we, we celebrate, um, but at a time when we saw that, we also saw this this uh, this real inequality of life experience, um, which is which is really being driven by poverty. One of the things that we did, uh, Rob, as part of this process, is our board and our staff. We started going out to the communities that we aim to serve, meeting the, meeting the people where they are in their communities and in their establishments, and in some cases where their program is implemented. And what we saw then, uh, which may have started as a kind of an academic exercise of evaluating statistics and historical trends and all those kind of things, uh, very quickly moved into um, a deeply personal um, experience. We went to Stateville Prison in Joliet, and uh, and we met at the cells uh, with um, uh, with these young men who are. Uh, you know, in eight by ten cells with another inmate, and they're in there for uh, long periods of time, months and months, waiting for uh, waiting for a trial to begin. Talking through a window that is measured in about uh, about three inches wide, uh, we saw the fear in their eyes, we saw the desperation, heard the desperation in their voices. We've met with the kids on the west side of uh, Chicago in the community of Lawndale, and you know, I've heard the stories from little kids who uh, who tell me that. They don't go outside to play sports uh, like I did or you did when, when we were growing up because their neighborhood's not safe. And literally going outside to shoot baskets or uh, throw a baseball around can be a life or death situation. And um, for most of us, we literally can't wrap our imagination around what life is like with those conditions. But for too many people, that is a daily reality, and uh, we just simply found that unacceptable. And for us, that is what motivates us every day to get up and be better at what we do, because when we are more successful, it means they are able to influence more change in their communities. I really like your emphasis on uh, imagining what these lives could be like if they had the right resources, violence was taken away. I mean, that is a great, hopeful, very proactive, positive viewpoint. Uh, that's fantastic, particularly in some of these really, really difficult challenges. I think that's necessary, you know, to keep um, 
the organization moving forward uh, when there are so many challenges. And that's kind of my next question is, as you see these really, really big barriers to addressing the challenges that you listed, um, what are those barriers that are holding us back as a community, as a nation, as individual cities? Yeah, I think there's a lot of them. I, you know, I don't subscribe to this uh, belief that there's one issue that if we could just solve that one, that everything would would take care of itself. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of work to be done in the area of public policy, but there's a lot of work to be done around the issue of family dynamics and. Um, and certainly about uh, investments made in communities and, and a host of things. But what I would tell you, uh, Rob, I think for us, we start really in, in two areas. One is uh, kind of who we want to be as an organization, and maybe more specifically about what we, who we don't want to be. There is an abundance in today's society of people and organizations and uh, news outlets and, and the like that uh, want to point the finger at the other side. You don't agree with me, or we have difference of opinions, and that means you're probably to blame for whatever this social uh, issue is that we're discussing. We are not in that business. We are the organization that wants to be hopeful and wants to be optimistic and that wants to lift up solutions. Um, who's to blame just never seems to lead us to any kind of a productive destination. And so we really want to be about holding up those solutions to some some pretty difficult and challenging circumstances. I would think though in a in a in a big broad sense, one of the things that we need to do better individually, collectively in a community, even as a country, is we've got to put our imagination back to work. We have, if there is a failure uh, within society as it relates to these issues, poverty, violence, inequality, it's a failure to imagine. Um, a failure to imagine what a child could become if unburdened by these issues. What could they be? This young boy I was telling you about, I talked to on the west side of Chicago, who told me he couldn't go out in his neighborhood to play because it was too unsafe. But he loved to play with Legos and erector sets and build things. And I thought about, you know, could this could this young boy become one of the great engineers? Could he design one of the great skyscrapers that, you know, uh, that hovers over the skyline of Chicago, or do some, you know, make some great buildings, some a, a tremendous uh, place that people would go and experience? And how could we kind of get these get these obstacles out of his way so that he could envision himself? doing something like that. Too many kids are growing up in too many communities where they don't imagine what they could be when they grow up. For some people, we hear it too frequently. I don't think about what life is like after 25 because I don't think I'm either going to be around or I won't be in jail. Those are the, my two options. I'm dead or I'm in jail. And I don't, so I don't even allow myself to imagine. We have to think as a society of people um, what could these communities become if unburdened by these issues? So I, I believe it begins first with being a, a hopeful organization. And then secondly is to really uh, imagine uh, a different existence for us and for others. And then how would that translate into action? Uh, so I think if we could, I think if we could kind of stimulate people's imagination again, um, I think I think we might even surprise ourselves what we're capable of. Well, and I like your emphasis 
on uh, developing leaders and the fact that you develop emerging community leaders. So when you support an organization from what I see on your website and what we've already talked about today, um, it's not just here's a check, but you want to come alongside these leaders and help them thrive as well. Um, and I know it's something for our podcast is one of the reasons I have this podcast is I really want this to be a tool for people to become better leaders, you know, to, to put in their toolkit, these things that they hear from you and other speakers and, and authors that we have on the show. So talk about how you're doing that with your organization. What's your method? What's your strategy of developing emerging leaders in your communities? Yeah, that's the second uh, second grant program that we have, these emerging leader uh, grant recipients. We believe uh, strongly that leadership is not just a key part of any successful program or organization. It is the critical part. Um, you just don't see successful and highly impactful organizations and programs led by weak leaders. Uh, that just, they don't go together. So we believe that investing in tomorrow's nonprofit leaders in a very formative um, uh, part of their emergence is critical. I think most great leaders would say that there was an uh, early time in their life in which somebody came to them and said, uh, you're on the right path. You're doing the right things, and I believe in you. Well, that's what we're kind of saying to these uh, emerging leader grant recipients. At a formative time, they've started a new program. They're between the ages of 20 and 35, and um, but they're trying to get this program up and running, and they saw a need in their community that wasn't being met, and they filled the gap. And uh, so We Raise comes alongside them and says, you're on the right path. You're doing the right things, and we believe in you. And here's an expression of that belief. Uh, we're going to give you uh, a financial award, um, most of which is going to go to fund your program. But there's also a piece of that that really funds your development as a leader. So we invest in um, uh, kind of that agile uh, self-awareness leadership development. Uh, we enroll them in uh, leadership programs like the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. Uh, we host a convening for them. We host a series of webinars where we engage them, bring in outside experts that, uh, that really speak to this issue of um, developing their skill set as leaders and how to be clear communicators and how to inspire others and how to be organized and um, and how you continue to grow and, um, and promote a learning environment. We think if we can be successful in um, investing in leaders at a formative stage, uh, that we're making a significant contribution to the, um, the social environment that is serving these, these significant challenging issues. Well, again, I really appreciate your emphasis on leaders. I couldn't agree with you more that the future of nonprofit organizations and the future of our country is in the hands of our next generation of leaders. And so I love their emphasis and dreaming about what some of these leaders, particularly in impoverished areas, uh, kind of clearing the boundaries, if you will, or I should say that clearing the barriers that, that are holding them back to become those leaders and lead their communities. I think it's great. So as our listeners are hearing this and they want to find out more about you, more about your mission, where would you send them? Yeah, we'd encourage them to visit weraise.org, and our website will give you all the historical information about our foundation, uh, our mission, our vision, our values, and all of those things that really kind of define who we are. It will also tell you that if you're a candidate for, for instance, an Emerging Leader Grant, or if you fit the criteria for one of our grants plus grants, 
it will walk you through that process. We have our um, our criteria posted on that site as well as the application process itself. And then beyond that, we hope folks would link uh, our site into their uh, social networks and expose our work to um, uh, to their social networks. And also, it's got opportunities for you to engage directly, either as a donor or encouraging other people uh, to support our work. And we'd be very grateful for anyone um, uh, that would want to do that on our behalf. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time again. My guest today has been Paul Miles. He's the president and CEO of We Raise Foundation out of Chicago, Illinois. We appreciate you taking time, and I encourage you to check out their website and all the good work they're doing. Thanks again, Paul. Rob, thanks for having me. It was great to be with you. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.